This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Nero Wolfe is a fictional character, a brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective created in 1934 by American mystery writer Rex Stout. Now, Wolfe was born in Montenegro and keeps his past rather murky. He lives in a luxurious brownhouse on West 35th Street in New York City and is loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his personal chef, Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin, Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper young confidential assistant with an eye for attractive women, narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. The role was played by Sidney Greenstreet, who in 1941 began working for Warner Brothers. His debut film was as Casper Gutman, the fat man, co-starring with Humphrey Bogart in The Maltese Falcon. The film also featured Peter Lorre as the twitchy Joel Cairo, a pairing that would prove rather durable. The two men appeared in some nine films together, including Casablanca in 1942, with Green Street as crooked club owner Signor Ferrari, for which he received a salary of $3,750 per week for seven weeks. And now the episode Phantom Fingers first aired in 1951. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? You're expecting Mr. Wolf at your place in three hours? Your place is where? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm expecting Hedy Lamar in 15 minutes. Yeah, but, mister, we're both out of luck. <laughs> Archie, what are you babbling about? Well, there's a character on the phone who's laboring under the naive delusion that you're about to make a trip upstate. His name? Finley, he said. In that case, he's quite correct. Yeah, he's quite the, uh... uh... Yes, Mr. Finley. Mr. Wolf will be there. Yeah, goodbye. I shall need some beer, Archie. The bottle opener's in the right-hand drawer. Thank you. What one of us needs is a psychiatrist. You're voluntarily leaving your happy home, exposing yourself to the elements, entrusting your only life to a savage automobile? I am? Oh, oh, oh. somebody's offered you the United States Treasury, huh? Mr. Finley happens to grow orchids. Among them, he has developed a plant possessing spurred labili. I have an opportunity to purchase a couple of the plants, therefore... I don't believe it. But Archie, according to the reports I have received, he has produced a strain of black cypripidium. Oh, well, in that case. But, Mr. Wolf, while it's true that black may be the color of your true love's hair, it is also true that black is the color of funerals. <laughs>
gentlemen, it's the detective genius who rates the knife and fork, the greatest tools ever invented by man. The ponderous, brilliant, and unpredictable Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout and brought to you in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. Beginning of the case of the Phantom Fingers actually had nothing to do with black orchids. The first act was played in an old house at the end of an old dirt road. It was short and simple. As short as life. And as simple as murder. Joe, I didn't believe the letters I got. Didn't believe them until now. I've been a lonely man. No wife, children. Joe, it was all coming to you after I died. There was no need for you to steal from me. All you had to do was wait. Joe, that gun, put it down. No, no, no. Archie. Yes, Mr. Wolf. How much longer? Oh, an hour, maybe. Why? I'm a fool. Yeah, well, payday's tomorrow. I refuse to agree with you. <laughs> Besides, the trip's been fine so far, huh? So there's snow on the road, but... Uh, Fooey. Well, it's nice snow. Pretty soon it'll be spring, and in the spring... If you mention old Tidmas once more, I shall strangle you. Uh, no, no, it's against the law. But you know, if that snow melts much faster, the trees won't look so pretty. Trees? Are they really necessary? Uh-huh. People cut them down and make paper out of them. And they take the paper and make dollar bills. <laughs> Mr. Wolf, we're surrounded by future fees. I prefer the finished product. What on earth is that? Sounds like a river. Indeed. Except there aren't any rivers around here. Hey. Yeah? Up ahead. What? Huh? It's a river. Only it isn't a river. It's wet. It's wet and it's got waves on it. Had to start raining, too. Nature. Fui. road behind us is covered with water. We just have to keep going onward and upward. Would you like to recite Excelsior to me? Why, sure. Shades of night were falling fast when through an alpine village passed... An idiot of your caliber, no doubt. Oh. An infernal engine has died. No, no, the road dips up ahead. And where it dips, there's a junior Mississippi growing up. Splendid. Not so splendid. We can't go back and we can't go forward. Why not? They didn't build this model to swim. No foresight. What do we do now? Well, we could abandon the car and, uh... Walk, are you mad? Are you seriously suggesting I indulge in a foot race with the flood? Yeah, well, not seriously, but, uh... You've decided to give the car a swimming lesson? No. There's what looks like a cow path leading off the highway. To your right. Maybe it's a road. We progress. We now follow the footstep of the cow. Ah, it is a road. An old dirt road. Not only that, it goes up. Is that good? Theoretically. We might get above the water that way. And if the theory fails? Mr. Wolf, how are you on the Australian crawl? Hey, there's been another car on this road before us. You can see the tire tracks in the mud. Interesting. An indication that there are other maniacs about. I myself would not have chosen this particular spot to picnic in. Well, it's not that. There's somebody lying on the road. People have peculiar habits. Ignore him and drive on. Uh-uh. 
Hold on a moment. Mr. Wolf, you better come out here. My madness has its limits. The answer is no. Serious, Archie? Very serious. Oh, very well. put him in the car. Might be bad for him to be moved. No. There is nothing that can be bad for him. He's dead. Is this blasted road leading anywhere, Archie? Well, seems to be a clearing up ahead. Maybe... Hey, it's a house. Splendid. I'm not so sure. It's perched up on top of a cliff surrounded on three sides by nothing. On the side facing us, there's a deep ravine and a small wooden bridge. An island in the air. Hmm. Yeah. High enough to keep above water, maybe, but... Now, that bridge doesn't look too good. Rain may have weakened it. I have no choice, Archie. I have no intention of being drowned in these barbaric surroundings. The bridge, Archie. Okay. Hold on. Nope. The thing's collapsing under us. Our momentum, sir. Well, if it doesn't, 37 blondes are going to be wearing black. Correction, 38. I forgot the one in Gimbel's bargain basement. Hey, we made it. The bridge will never be the same, though. There's a car ahead of us in front of the house. The car from which our friend, our dead friend, was thrown. Only one set of car tracks in the mud along the road, and here... And all we have to do is walk in, ask for the owner of the house, and, uh... Possibly, and possibly not. Archie, go through the corpse's pockets. Oh, that's not cricket. Yeah, all right, all right. I'm going through. There's not much on him. Handkerchief, silver, driver's license. The name was uh, James Miller. Address Ghana Lane. Walden. Now I've got an idea this is Ghana Lane, Mr. Wolf. In which case, someone named Joe was looking after the house for him, committed theft, and murdered Miller. Miller's body was then dumped on the road in the hopes that the floods would wash the body away. No one at the house seems to have noticed our arrival. No. Nope. Well, let's go in and ask for Joe, huh? Very well. Uh, oh. Uh, mm. uh, hard. With the bridge down, there's absolutely no way of getting on or off this place. Except for a mountain goat. I don't know any mountain goats. <laughs> I used to know a plain goat once, though. Indeed. He ran at the fifth at Jamaica. Stop mourning. I never mourned her. Also, I never win bets on horse races. <laughs> That's why I continue to work for you. That is also why you had better ring the doorbell. Okay, okay. Nobody's going to break a leg rushing to open the door. I suppose you try. I have had more than enough of the weather. Is that polite? Besides, the killer may have some more bullets in that gun. Are you afraid? Sure. Fooey, the door, Archie. But old Dr. Tidmouse would say... Well, never mind. Mm. Hey, somebody was careless leaving the door open like that. On the other hand, does a spider ever shut its web? The answer is no. 
Are we flies? Yes. Out of my way, Archie. There are lights up ahead. Must be the living room. Excuse me. Hey, uh, sure, sure, your excuse. Uh, do you live here, sir? Do we? No, don't you? Of course not. This is very strange. I came out to see the people who live here, or the person. I found the door open and no one about. I've been sitting in this corner now for a long time. Oh, it's a pity no one offered you a plum pie. Then you could have stuck in your thumb. You saw no one enter, sir? Uh, no one at all. I didn't want to go any further. It would have seemed like prying. Perhaps you had better come along with us. Well, uh, all right. You know, this place, it has an evil atmosphere. Certainly has. What it needs is fresh air. Hooey. This would be the living room door. A job, it. It is. Looks as pretty as a picture. Abby. Oh. Hello. Well, just think of it. Five minutes ago, you know, I didn't know you existed. And you didn't know I existed. And now... Archie, your existence would have a sudden end unless you keep quiet. Uh Excuse us for intruding, Miss... Intruding? Oh, but I really should ask you to excuse me. You do not live here? I wish I did, but... You see, I've been out walking. I live maybe a whole mile from here, and then when the flood began, I, I thought I'd come in here and stay for a while. And you found? An empty house. That's not what I found. <laughs> As old Dr. Tidmouse has often said... Go through the rest of the house, Archie. Go through the rest... Yeah, well, never mind. I'll, uh... What's that? Somebody's walking. Coming downstairs. I'll go and see Come on into the living room. Meet your guests in one or several pieces as you prefer. You what? Oh. Hiya, folks. Ah, who's at last? That's very funny. I think I'll laugh. Uh, uh. May I ask why? Because this here ain't my dump. I was just casing the joint. I mean, I was just taking a stroll. Through the house? I'm eccentric. Oh, clever. However, I think you'd better stay. Why? Because you may turn out to be the owner of this house after all. I rather think introductions are in order. Well, I'm Peg Shirley. Uh, my name is Wagner. Joseph Wagner? Uh, Lewis. How about you, Stroller? Cragen. Sam Cragen. Hmm. Peg, Louis, Sam. Mr. Cragen, while you were strolling upstairs, did you notice anyone else about? No. There was no one outside when Archie and I entered. The bridge is down, effectively cutting us off from further visitors. We may assume, therefore, that we are the only people in not about this house. Yeah, it's cozy, ain't it? Which further means that one of you three is a murderer. Am I? Am I? What are you The murderer is the person who owns or lives in this house. All three of you denied being that person. Conclusion, one of you is a liar. Well, I, I, that. How dare I hardly expected a full immediate confession. However, we are absolutely isolated here. No one is going to come or leave until we have a killer. You know, you can't really keep us here. The flood can and will. Remember, the bridge is no longer. So you see, just the five of us alone. No one else inside the house, no one outside. Therefore... <laughs> Correction, Mr. Wolf. Maybe it's a branch or something tapping against the door. Unlikely. Archie. Okay, I'll go see who or what it is. Oh, hey. Who oh. in the what? What? I got him. Somebody shut the door. Yeah, all right, I get it. 
A disreputable and unwashed gentleman. Head badly hurt. Is he conscious, Archie? I don't know. He's mumbling something. Legs pushed off. Fell from the legs. He's passed out. I guess he was trying to say that somebody pushed him out on a ledge. The side of the cliff, maybe. He must have regained consciousness and crawled to the house. Where'll I put him, Mr. Wolf? Bedroom, I suppose. Where you need first aid. We can't get a doctor. Cregan, where are the bedrooms? Yeah, one right up at the head of the stairs. And don't ask me how I happen to know. We shan't, Archie. Okay. I'll need somebody to help me carry him up without shaking him too badly. Cregan? Okay. Uh, let's go. As for the rest of you, Mr. Wagner, Miss Shirley, I suggest we return to the living room. But I don't see any reason why we should take orders from you. One of you is a murderer. I include Mr. Cregan, of course. Oh, but that poor man wasn't dead. Not for lack of trying. However, I was not referring to him. You mean... You mean someone else has been killed? Precisely. That is why I hope we should not hear another knocking at the door. It could only be a corpse. <laughs> And Cregan. Yeah. The injured man? Still out. Probably got a concussion. Uh, did he say anything further? Well, he babbled a bit. I don't know if... Uh, we should assume we're among friends, Archie. Exactly what did he say? Well, he was pushed over the edge of the cliff because he saw Miller killed. Ah, did he also see who? No. Passed out before he had a chance. He's an old tramp, Mr. Wolf. He was bumming his way through the country when he saw the murder. He must have decided on a touch of blackmail and receiving a concussion instead, which may last for hours or for days. <gasps> Somebody's playing with the lights. Some fool. Yeah, the switch was over this way. Ah. Yeah, the lights are on again. Whose idea was that? I had nothing to do with this. Me neither. Miss Shirley, why did you scream? Well, someone rushed against me in the, in the darkness. You were standing? Near the table, this table. Archie? Oh, nothing on the table except a bunch of keys on a ring. Eh, uh, something screwy. Why should a guy put the lights out just to deposit a bunch of keys on a table? Obvious. Without doubt, those are the keys of this house. Possession of them would have disclosed which of you lives here and which of you therefore killed Miller. It's late. I shall sleep down here, lacking an elevator to transport me upstairs. The elevator's lacking. Yes, the rest of you should be able to find bedrooms upstairs. Good night. Archie. Yeah? Follow them upstairs. Spend the night awake. Okay. Good heavens, Archie. On my way. What's cooking up here? Uh, somebody's playing with the lights up Strike here. Strike a match. You don't have to. I got a flashlight. Oh, yeah. oh, here it is. Light switch. You know, this putting out of lights is getting to be somebody's bad habit. Well, all three of you seem to be okay. Stay here. Where, right. where are you going? Tramps room, right here at the head of the stairs. Think of all your good deeds while I'm gone. All right, downstairs again. What again? Oh, oh, dear. What happened? Well, it was more than a bunch of keys this time. Oh, that knife. There's blood on it. There should be. I just pulled it out of a man's heart. Wow. Well, Mr. Wolf, one of these three babies doused the lights, popped into the tramps room, deposited the knife in his chest, and popped right out again. The knife you're holding? Yeah. Intelligent of you to wrap a handkerchief around the handle. Well, whoever killed the tramp didn't have time to fool around with gloves, so... There should be prints on the knife handle. Satisfactory, Archie. That's mild enthusiasm. 
Archie, on that desk, an ink pad. Yeah. Miss Shirley, mm-hmm. you carry face powder, of course? Yes, I do. Archie will need it to bring out the prints on the knife. He will then fingerprint each of you. Compare your prints with those on the knife, and we shall have a murderer to hand over to the police. Archie, will you begin, please? They are, Mr. Wolf. Three cards labeled with Miss Shirley's name, Cregan's, and Wagner's. Their respective prints are on each card. Good. I have a knife here. Several quite distinct prints on it. It should be child's play to, uh... Hmm. Archie. Yeah? Take your own prints and mine. What? Do as I say quickly. Yes, sir. All right, give me your thumb. Thank you. That's it. Now mine. Thank me. There's something wrong. Something wrong and deadly loose in this house tonight. Well, there's a card with your prints and mine. Thank you. Now you got five cards all together. So I have. Uh, Archie. What now? Take the ink pad and a fresh card with you. Where am I going with him? Upstairs. But, Mr. Wolf, there's nobody upstairs except the corpse. Precisely. It is his friends I want. Oh, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. Archie? Yeah, I got the dead man's prints. Will all of you please sit? All right, but it's... Good heavens, young woman. Be careful. We want no accidents. Sorry, I caught my high heels in the rug. Archie, the card with the corpse's prints on it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm. You know, I've had quite enough of this nonsense. Have you, Mr. Wagner? Yeah, so have I, Mr. Wolf. Also, I don't think you know what you're doing. Perhaps not. However, I have something rather interesting to tell all of you. There is no one in this house besides yourselves, except, of course, for the dead man upstairs... There is no one on the rock on which this house stands except for another dead man in our car. Look, we already know all that. Bear with me. We may rule out secret passages, unusual hiding places, or anything of that esoteric and childish nature. We may also rest assured that no one has come to or left this house or rock within the last few hours. That means we're kind of hermetically sealed here, huh? Meaning also that whoever was here when the tramp was killed is still here. Still here in this room. Correct, Archie. Now then, I have checked the dead tramp's prints against those on the knife. Theoretically, suicide was possible. However, the prints do not match. That guy was in no condition to kill himself anyway. True. And I checked Archie's prints and mine against those on the knife. No similarity. Oh, but no one suspected either of you. Thank you, but I had to be thorough. That left only the three of you. I compared your cards and the prints on them with the prints on the handle of the knife. And? I want you to remember one thing very clearly. We are the only living people in this house or on this rock of land. No tricks are possible and may be ruled out. All right, so what? This. The prints on the handle of the knife that pierced the heart of the man upstairs do not match his prints or... The prince of anyone in this room. Yeah, oh, no, well, mine wouldn't match. Would you mind saying that again? He doesn't have to. And those cards, Mr. Wolf, has the prince of everybody here. And yet none of them match the prince on the knife handle. But, well, in that case, who or, or what killed him? Why, there must be someone else in the house. I give you my word, there is not. Hey, are you thinking about ghosts or something? 
Ghosts never leave fingerprints. I, I, I've got to get away. I can't stand this. Me too. Come on, lady. But I, I'll come along with you if you don't mind. Mr. Wolf. Let them go. The bridge is down. They can't get far. Okay. I don't get it. Get what? Well, the fingerprint business. And who killed Miller plus the tramp? The identity of the killer, Archie, is quite obvious. It is? To who? To whom? Who's whom? <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, I'm stalling for self-respect. You know? Uh, of course I do. I have no conclusive proof, however. I had hoped the fingerprints would be of assistance there, but they proved to be phantoms. I'm still smarting about the other thing. You know, it's at times like this that I almost agree with you about my intelligence. Lack of intelligence? Yeah, well, don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. Just go ahead. Yeah, well, maybe you better rub it in. From now on, you may refer to my brain in the negative. In the negative? Bless you, Archie. What I've just done, I don't know, but can I have a raise? No. I'll take it back. You can't. Get the others in at once. Mr. Wolf, you now have the appearance of Mr. Wolf being surrounded by several dozen bottles of beer. What have I done? You've explained the fingerprints, Archie. Hurry. I don't want to keep the killer in suspense. I don't care. No, I'm very nervous. I don't like this. Archie. They're all here. Yes, but they're all making a noise. Stop them. Miss Shirley, Mr. Cregan, Mr. Wagner, will you please shut? Uh, uh, Mr. Wolf, they have. Thank you, Archie. Now then, I have known for some little time which of you killed the tramp and Miller. I lack proof, however. And you... you have it now? I will admit for a while I was flummoxed by the negative evidence of the fingerprints. They seem to indicate that the tramp was murdered by a phantom. However, the word negative itself has solved the minor problem. Minor to who? To whom? Never mind. Shh. Archie, what is the salient feature of a film negative? Well, I suppose it's the fact that the darks are light and the lights are dark. Huh? Precisely. A reversal, then, of the actual appearances. Now, are there any similarities between filmed images and fingerprints? Oh, in a way... You could call the worlds and hollows that determine the individual characteristics of a fingerprint the lights and darks, huh? You could. I shall. Miss Shirley, would you help in an experiment? Well, of course. Thank you. Archie, I want you to take Miss Shirley's fingerprints once again. Okay. Pad and card. Here you are, Miss Shirley. All right. Now, Archie, quick. Huh? Grab her arm. I, I got it. Well, Usually I don't have to be coached, but... Let go of me. What are you trying to do? Miss Shirley... You already had pressed your fingers on the ink pad once. Why were you about to do it a second time? Well, I... I just wanted to make a better impression. Fury. Archie, wipe some of the ink off her fingers. Oh, but then it won't be any good. It'll be very good, Archie. I've well, done it. And take the print. No. No, let go of me. Maybe. I never hurt women if I can help it, but right now I won't be able to help it. Mr. Wolf wants your prints all over again, so down on the night's white card. No. Hey, thanks. Will you let me have that card now, Archie? Sure. In the meanwhile, hold on to Miss Shirley. A pleasure. Indeed? Would you continue to think so, Archie, if I told you that Miss Shirley's first name is not Peg, but happens to be Josephine, for which the diminutive is Joe? Glad they're fixing the bridge. I was beginning to think we'd be here forever. Boy, we have been. <laughs> you know, if those black orchids have been holding their breath waiting for you, they're going to be red in the face. Hey, 
Hey, new breed, red orchids, huh? Ah, gee, must you talk? Well, it's fun. Also, you've been holding out on me about the case. I surrender. Okay. You know, when we compared the new prints of Josephine with those on the knife, you could have knocked me over with a sash weight. They were identical. Naturally. She stabbed the tramp. Yeah, but what was the fingerprint gag? She merely loaded her fingers so heavily with ink that she falsified the markings. She filled up the hollows and walls with ink. The result was that ridges became hollows and vice versa. In the same fashion that a photographic negative falsifies lights and darks. You got that when I mentioned the word negative? It works, huh? Try it sometime. Yeah, the very next bank I rob. <laughs> but you said you knew who killed Miller and the Tramp even before you exposed the fingerprint gimmick. How? We knew Miller's murderer lived in this house. Had been stealing from him and so on. Uh-huh. Stealing what? Cash, of course. He, as the girl admitted, was an eccentric. Kept his money on the property. Cregan had probably heard of it, hence his casing of the house. Yeah? Our problem, therefore, was to discover who lived in this house. All three suspects denied it. Josephine Shirley told us, as you may remember, that she'd gone for a walk and then been driven by the flood to this house where we found her. Well, that's what she said. It could have been. No, because as you may also remember, she tripped at one point over the living room rug and mentioned why. Sure. Sure, she said she was wearing high heels. Uh Uh-oh, because out in the country there are no pavements, so girls don't go for a walk in high-heeled shoes. Therefore, she hadn't gone for a walk. Therefore, she was lying. Therefore, she killed Miller and... (laughs) I should have noticed those heels myself. You should have, Archie. Your trouble, I suspect, was that uh, you didn't notice the feet for the legs. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin and G.G. Pearson, Howard McNear, Tim Graham, and Eddie Fields. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Vanishing Shells. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show, next on Theater of the Mind. Time to get ready for a walk down Allen's Alley and meet all sorts of strange characters, including special guest Phil Baker. It isn't a friend of Gladys Sabisco's, kiddies. The makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tender Leaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Phil Baker, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tender Leaf Workshop players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who plays Senator Craghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This 
This week, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby's sponsor started suit to get Bing to go back on the air. Tonight, we bring you a man whose sponsor is thinking of starting suit to get him off the air, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Kenny, I was reading about that Bing Crosby suit. You know, I don't uh, really think that Bing wants to work. I hear he's moving to Stamford. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a nice dull start. <laughs> Anything that happens from now on will be a highlight. <laughs> well, what about your sponsor, Fred? Well, our sponsor thinks, I believe he thinks we're a little behind the times with our show, Kenny. Well, how do you mean? Well, all of the other radio programs don't bother with entertainment anymore. They're just giving things away. Jack Benny's giving away $10,000. Bob Hope's giving away Jeeps. And Red Skelton is giving away automobiles. Yeah, well, don't you think you should give something away, Fred? I was just going to announce it, Kenny. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next week, to every person who wins an automobile on Red Skelton's program, I will give a road map. <laughs> I'll even open it. The party's too weak. I'll even open the road map. Well, that ought to cause plenty of talk. Yes. <laughs> and it's the kind of talk I don't want to be around to hear, Kenny. I have enough trouble the way things are. Well, Portland. Kenny and I were just talking about radio programs giving things away. Oh, radio is wonderful. Well, how do you mean? My uncle was on a program called Blind Date. Oh, uh, what happened? His number was called, and he had to take out a chorus girl. I see. Next day, they both went on a program called People Are Funny, and he proposed to her. He did, huh? Then they went on a program called honeymoon in New York, and got married over 150 stations. 150 stations, good. Then they went on Truth or Consequences and won enough furniture for their house. They lived happily ever after? No. They went on Battle of the Sexes and had a big fight. Well, is the marriage off? Well, we won't know until tomorrow. Well, what's tomorrow? They're on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> They have completed their happy kilo cycle, in other words. But you know, you were... You can almost... You can almost get anything in, in a radio today. But sometimes things go wrong. Well, how do you mean? Mama wrote a limerick for the National Barn Dance Contest. And something went wrong? Instead of the first prize of a hundred bottles of Alka-Seltzer... Yeah? They sent her two hillbillies. Two hillbillies. <laughs> well, how did your mother, with her broken lawnette... No, the... <laughs> Mother, with that limp lawnette that hangs down so she can't look through it, how did she know the difference? Well, she put one of the hillbillies in water. And? He didn't fizz. Oh, well, that would give it away. <laughs> Probably made the water good and dirty, though. But speaking of fizzes reminds me, <laughs> we better start thinking of getting along to see those old familiar fizzes down in Allen's Alley. What is your question for tonight? Well, Portland, this week the New York movie critics made their annual awards for the outstanding films and performances of 1945. And so this evening our question is, if you are a movie fan, what pictures and performances impressed you most during the past year? Shall we go? As the druggist said when he had a headache, I think I'll take a powder. <laughs> Well,
Well, Portland, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Say, the senator's home tonight. His hound dog is curled up there under the porch. See it? Somebody, I say, somebody now. Yes, I know. Claghorn's the name, Senator Claghorn. I know, I know. You're from Dixie. When I eat crackers in bed, I only eat Georgia crackers. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) When I leave New York, I always take the South Ferry. Now, wait a minute. Way down upon the Swanee River. Look, you're a little... I'm singing Swanee, son. Well, I know what you're singing. Show some reverence, son. Kneel down and uncover. Now, wait a minute. Come, now, just let, let me, me get... talk for a change. Change, that is. You let me get a word yeah, in. Keep chattering, son. I don't even get a chance. Your tongue is going like a cow's tail in fly time. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> While you're taking in a little wind, Senator, do you mind if I intersperse something in here? What was Washington's reaction to the choice of the most popular movie stars? We took our own poll in Congress. We did? Everybody was talking all at once. Even Senator Brooks was babbling. Ah! <laughs> yep, yep. Babbling Brooks, that's a joke. I know it. That's <laughs> Gaffaw. I don't care. There's a Savannah Sockeroo. Look, I don't care. I drank wise and you look dumb. I'm looking at <laughs> Hold up, son, you're subnormal. Stop that in. Now, wait a minute. Be careful how low you go, even in water, Senator. Now, you watch that sub stuff. Now, look, about these Hollywood stars. Are you a movie fan? I quit, I say, I quit going to movies, son. Well, why? Last picture I saw made my down yonder blood boil. Your down yonder blood was boiling, eh? Well, what happened? At the end of the picture, Ann Southern married Cary Grant. But why? Uh... I couldn't stand to see another Grant taking anything Southern. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Well, goodbye, Senator. Go on. Well, <laughs> the senator, <laughs> the senator must have just finished dinner. I, I smelled a little hog jowl on his breath. <laughs> oh well, I, um, I wonder. Let's get along down the alley. I wonder what Titus Moody has on his mind tonight. Howdy, bub. <laughs> <laughs> Mister. Um, Mr. Moody, you uh, you look a little weary tonight. Yeah, I've had tough sledding all week. Oh, why uh, why should you have tough sledding? No snow. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mr. Moody, how do you feel about these movie awards? Boris Karloff should have won. You think that he's the best actor? No, Tindy's acting. Well, what makes you such an ardent Karloff fan? Well, I'll tell you. I got a big wart on my Adam's apple. Oh, a wart, eh? Yeah, it's right here under my collar button. I see it there. When I put on my collar, the collar button presses against the wart. Yeah? The wart presses against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. Oh, with what, uh... The only pleasure, the only pleasure I've had for ten years, I owe Boris Karloff. Well, how do you mean? Well, when I go into theater, my collar button is pressing against the wart. Yeah? The wart's pressing against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> Then, Boris Karloff comes on the screen. Yes? My flesh starts to creep. Yes? The wart creeps up over my collar. Yes? I can't explain the feeling. It's utopia. And... <laughs> when the picture is over... Then, the wart creeps back down. The collar button starts pressing. I'm in agonizing pain again. 
Well, as far as you and your want are concerned, outside of Boris Karloff, all them other Hollywood actors is just a pain in the neck. So long, brother. So long. <laughs> well, when Boris Karloff is in town, Mr. Moody's wart is going places. Now, let's see what happens next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia de Helleva? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you a movie fan? Not me, my husband, Pierre. Oh, Pierre, Pierre likes pictures, huh? Every day you're seeing movies, always in Technicolor. Oh, Technicolor, huh? To Pierre, every picture is looking Technicolor. Well, how come? His eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> but don't you see so many movies bother Pierre? Always he is coming home with different personalities. Well, how do you mean? Pierre is seeing a picture with uh, Ronald Coleman. Yes. He is making with an English accent. Oh, eh? Really? He is opening the door and saying, What's next to old crumpet? What's next to old crumpet, eh? Also, Zygazunt and Cheerio. And he's certainly cultured, what? He is seeing in a picture, Bingle Crosby. Yes. Around the house, Pierre is singing... I see. When Pierre is seeing Bob Hope, yes. he is making with rice crackles. Well, say, with such a versatile husband, you must be very happy. I am getting a divorce. Well, why? Last week, Pierre is seeing in a picture of Tarzan. So? He is refusing to live home. You mean you can't get him into the house? I can't get him down from the tree. <laughs> At the last shack in Allen's Alley. I wonder what a knock will bring here. Sound the trumpets, round me rally. Falstaff's back in Allen's Alley. Falstaff's open, sir. Welcome return, Falstaff. Happy homecoming. Thank you, Lord. Where have you been? I have been enjoying a sabbatical on the Bowery. Oh, you... (laughs) (laughs) You've been coining new dactyls? Oh, indubitably. Really? Have you heard, said the bumblebee to the little flea, don't touch that stuff, it's DDT. <laughs> no. Or, uh, as the waiter said when he brought the horseradish, I hope that covers your beef. <laughs> no. How about this? My mother is lonesome when she goes to a fire. LaGuardia isn't there, and neither is O'Dwyer. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait. Now, wait. That is, you've overdone it finally, Falstaff. Tonight, we're simply discussing the Critics' Awards for the best films of 1945. Precisely why I greyhounded it. <laughs> I have contrived an epic. A poem about the movie awards? What is it called? The Forgotten Award. And how does it go? Each year, the critics give awards to pictures and to actors. The direction and performances they term deciding factors. Paramount is cited, an award to movie tone, a plaque to Ingrid Bergman. Even Lassie gets a bone. I hail the movie industry, but I also must remind it that an award should be awarded to the man who is behind it. This guy makes Hollywood possible. He's not director, star, or picket. He's just the average man who digs down and buys a ticket. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul Thank you. And from the rancid rhymes of Bard Openshaw, we turn to the refreshing refrains of the five DeMarco sisters. Accompanied by, <laughs> accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his United Nations Ensemble. 
The DeMarco sings The Moment I Met You. Another in the Maestro Al Goodman series of Remnant Rhapsodies. Say, Portland. Yes? Has that uh, lawyer called me yet? Lawyer? Are you in trouble? Am I in trouble? All week I've been in more hot water than a slice of lemon in a Russian tea room. (laughs) I am out on bail right now. Gosh, what happened? Well, you've read that line in some other program we've had. That's very reminiscent. (laughs) Well, Portland, you want to know what happened? The whole thing started last Sunday night after the broadcast. You know, I generally go over to the Hamburger Hovel on 8th Avenue. For a nickel over there, they serve a hamburger as big as a catcher's mitt. Even a buckle in the back of the hamburger. (laughs) They They put the piccalilli on with a trowel. Well, I took a cab at Radio City, and we were driving along the street. We had gone a few blocks when the driver said... Uh, you said the Hamburger Hubble, didn't you, bud? Yes, driver. Okay. Hey, Miss Busy, as a termite in the woodwork, I'm as jumpy as a yo-yo on a string. Boy, can that Sinatra write music. Say, driver, driver, just a minute, driver. Stop the cab. Okay, okay. Something wrong? Something wrong, chum? I just felt in my pocket. My wallet's gone. I must have left it at the studio. You mean you ain't got no dough? Well, I I haven't any money I mean, with me. This is a buck even. Get it up, Chisler. Now, well, look, if you'll just take me back to Radio City... So you can beat it out the other door. I had that pull on me before, chum. Where's that crank handle? Now, look, driver. <laughs> Come on, out of the cab. I'm going to crown you with this crank handle. Now, wait a take minute. Take this. You rats, you duck. Now, don't lose your head, driver You broke my window I broke your window You broke the window Well, if you'd have stood still, I'd have hit you Now, look A dollar on the meter, seven for the window That's eight bucks you owe me Now, I'll pay you the money Don't get excited Your blood pressure will go up, driver I'm, uh, I'm Fred Allen Sure, and I'm Jack Benny. Look, no hair. Big yeah. <laughs> stalling, wise guy. Give me eight bucks. Say, look, driver. Look, across the street there. Yeah, it's a radio studio. So what? Well, that sign. It says tonight, 
Phil Baker and take it or leave it. So what? Say, I've got an idea. Now, Phil Baker's program goes on the air in about five minutes. I'll go on take it or leave it. I'll change my name. Phil Baker won't even know who I am. I'll answer four of those easy questions. I'll quit with the $8. You'll have your money. Now, is it a deal? Okay. But you better win, brother. I got insurance. Insurance? This crank handles me insurance. Let's go. All right. Well, Portland, the cab driver and I got into the radio studio just in time. Luck was with me. My number was called. I was chosen as a contestant. I was sitting on the stage... The cab driver was glaring at me from the front row when I heard the announcer say... Presenting Take It or Leave It, starring Phil Baker. Yes, Take It or Leave It, the most exciting game you ever played. The game that doubles in interest with every question asked. The game with the giant jackpot. And now we give you the man with the $64 question. Our paymaster of ceremonies, and here he is, Phil Baker. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the halls of Montezuma. <laughs> Boy, there are plenty of people here tonight. I hadn't seen such a crowd since the window shade in Betty Grable's dressing room fell down. <laughs> but I really feel swell. You know, last Sunday night, Secretary Burns was pinch-hitting for me, answering some Russian $64 questions. So I went to Florida for a rest. Florida. Folks, there is a state. That's where the sun goes to get away from that California weather. It's a waste of time... <laughs> It's a waste of time to go to Florida, though. You go down there, your face is white. You get a great tan. You check out of the hotel, get your bill, and <laughs> you turn white again. <laughs> Those prices in Miami. I had a room overlooking a grapefruit for $18 a day. <laughs> and speaking of grapefruit, here's our first contestant. What is your name, miss? Shirley S. Gum. Shirley S. Gum? What does the S stand for? Spearman. Oh. <laughs> Where's your home, Shirley? And what is your occupation, Shirley? I work in Bloomingdale's. I'm a laugher. A laugher at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, when women come in and ask for nylons, I laugh you at laugh them. You laugh at them. <laughs> I've heard of let a smile be your umbrella, but let a laugh be your nylons is a new one on me. Now, Miss Gum, what category have you selected from the board? Music. Good. Popular music. For one dollar, what is the name of this popular song? All right. What is the name of that popular song? Popular? I never heard of it. It's very popular. It ain't in Brooklyn. Ain't in Brooklyn. <laughs> now, think. What, what, was, what was that song? Hmm? Chick? 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 Three chicks and a chuck? No Chickory chick yeah, I think I got it, Mr. Baker, is it? Chickory chick? Did you hear somebody yell that in the audience? Did somebody yell something? <laughs> you know, I'm as deep as a haddock yeah. I was born with two cauliflower ears My mother was in the golden glove <laughs> Well, all right, I'm going to give you the dollar Would you like to try it with two? Buck. You're quitting? Yeah, my boyfriend's a counterfeiter. He just wants a sample. I see. Come on. Come on. Well, that brings us to our next contestant. And your name, sir? Prentice Pontoon. 
When's this pontoon? Did you yes. receive a present before you came up to the microphone? Uh, yes, sir. An ever sharp fountain pen. Right, and it's guaranteed not for years, not for life, but guaranteed forever. Yes, sir. You look a little nervous. Would you like a cup of tea? I I thought you served coffee, Mr. Baker. <laughs> not on this program. You'll take tea or a drink of hot blue bonnet margarine. No. <laughs> No, no, thanks. You say your name is, uh, um... Prentice Pontoon. Did anyone ever tell you that you looked like Fred Allen? Yes, I've been beaten up twice by radio listeners. <laughs> You've even got bags under your eyes like Allen. Yes, I know. What is your occupation, Mr. Pontoon? I am an oculist in a fish market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an oculist in a fish market? When they lay a lot of dead fish in a fish market window... Yes? I check on their eyes to make sure the fish are all looking in the same direction. Oh. <laughs> I see. If one fish is looking the other way, it throws the whole window off. Yes. <laughs> You're just working for the halibut. Yes. Now, uh... <laughs> you know, I get people on this program with the darndest occupation. Really? One guy works in a restaurant on Second Avenue. He's a lentil feeler. A lentil feeler? Yes. If you order lentil soup, he puts his hand in and feels your lentils. <laughs> yeah. He takes out the hard levels so they won't hurt your gums. He does messy work, <laughs> yes, I should think. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. I just want to... <laughs> Another guy is a booster at the automat. When bo- midgets come into the automat... He boosts them up so that they can see what dishes are in the top compartment. Well, that's nice work. I Another think. guy is a perfume advisor in a five and ten cent store. A perfume advisor? Yes. When you take the top off a bottle, he tells you if what you smell is the perfume or another customer. Oh, right. <laughs> you have some uh, odd characters on your program, Mr. Baker. Tonight, especially. <laughs> well, uh, what would you like to talk about, Mr. Pontoon? Well, I think... How about uh, movie stars, world history, music? Uh, uh, world All history. All right, Mr. Pontoon, for one dollar. Take it easy now. Yes. Who is the president of the United States? No coaching, please. The president. He uh, was on the radio last Thursday instead of Abbott and Costello. That's, That's right. He said to Congress, you're a bad boy. <laughs> What's the president's name? Uh, think now. Uh, Herman Truman. Well, that's close enough. Okay, you have it up. Hey, you're okay, chum. Quiet, please. No help from the audience. Do you want to try for two bucks with the pontoon? He's better. Well, what do you say? Well, you heard him. I'll try for two dollars. Good. When you see pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside of his coat, what modern cartoon character does he remind you of? Itchy. Itchy is correct. <laughs> You're a very intelligent young man. He better be intelligent. Quiet. Who is this character in the audience? A friend of yours? The next two questions will decide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who was he waving that crank handle at? Well, he ordered a new car, but so far the crank handle is all he's gotten from General Motors. <laughs> okay, Mr. Pontoon, for $4, what brand of tea was used at the Boston Tea Party? Tenderleaf tea. Tenderleaf tea is absolutely correct. Now for eight bucks, Mr. Pontoon... Why did Sitting Bull sit down? Would you uh, repeat the question, please, Mr. Baker? For $8, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Uh, he was waiting for the cows to come home. No. You give up? Well, I... You'll be sorry! <laughs> His suspenders broke? No. You don't know, do you? Frankly, I don't, Mr. Well, Baker. Well, I'm sorry. Sitting Bull sat down because in those days there were so many things he couldn't stand for. See? Sorry, stand by for the giant jackpot. Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Well, Portland, after I lost the giant jackpot, too, and the program was over, I sneaked out the side door. The cab driver and the crank handle were waiting for me. I didn't have the money, so I offered him the fountain pen Phil Baker had given me. The cab driver said... A fountain pen? 
First you chiseled me out of eight bucks, now you want me to learn how to write, eh? Police! Police! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, driver. This pen is worth $20. You'll be making $12. You can sell it to somebody. You sell it to somebody. All I want is eight bucks. Okay. The people are coming out of the broadcast now. I'll go around in front of the theater and sell it to someone. Me and the crank handle will be sitting in the cab. Wait, make it snappy. Cad, what a predicament. At my age, a sidewalk peddler. Well, the audience is coming out. I'll try this guy here. Hey, hey, buddy. Yes? I got a $20 fountain pen. It's yours for eight bucks. Look, under my coat. Look under my coat. A badge. You're a detective. Yeah, I've been looking for you, Black Market Moe. But officer... First it was fake almond bars with stones in them. Now it's hot fountain pens. But I'm not Black Market Moe. I'm Fred Allen. I just got this fountain pen and take it or leave it. Honest, look. Here's Phil Baker coming out of the theater. Phil can identify me. Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, officer. What's the trouble? Tell him who I am, Phil. You know me. I'm Fred Allen. You know this character, Mr. Baker? Yes, I know him. Tell him who I am, Phil. Well, Prentice Pontoon. Phil. I'm Fred Allen on the radio. You're a knock, you list in the fish market. Uh, thanks, Mr. Baker. Come on, you. But, but, Phil, don't let him take me to court. I'll have to do time. You bet you will. But I... But for selling an Ebershaw pen on the street, <laughs> you'll go to jail not for years, not for life, but forever. Okay, black market, Mo, let's go. And now, Kenny, with a flattering word about the American woman. All over the world, the American woman is famous for her beauty. Her home is the ideal in other lands, too, and the way she runs it. She is practical about her home, her appearance, her dress, all her shopping. And it's being so practical it makes her choose tenderleaf tea balls over all others. Yes, tenderleaf tea balls are better in every way. That's why they're the largest selling tea balls in America. They provide finer tea, rich in fragrance, richer in flavor, made with famous for flavor tenderleaf brand tea. Their greater convenience is a big help, too. Individual packets of tasteless filter paper, crisp white and appealing, ready any time to drop into your cup for a cup of quick comfort when you need it most. That's all there is to it. Just add boiling water and your quick comfort is ready. Heartwarming, delicious, crystal clear tenderleaf tea. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for tenderleaf brand tea balls. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Phil Baker. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be the eminent Shakespearean actor and star of Hamlet, Maurice Evans. Thanks a lot for joining us and good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.